Hello everyone and welcome back to episode 3 of the Born to Kill podcast. I'm your host Jessica and today we're going to talk about Diane Downs, the mother who shot her three children. This case is really sad and horrific but also very interesting because it makes us wonder what is Diane Downs born to kill and what kind of mother shoots her three young children. So why does she do it? Today we're going to try and answer those questions. Before we get started, if you're enjoying this podcast so far, go ahead and subscribe so that you don't miss the next episode of Born to Kill. So, who was Diane Downs? Diane Downs was originally named Elizabeth Diane Downs, with Diane being her middle name and Elizabeth her first. Elizabeth Diane Downs was born on August 7, 1955 in Phoenix, Arizona to her parents Wes and Willa Dean Fredrickson. She was the oldest of four children. As a family, they moved around a lot up until Diane was around the age of 11. This is when her father got a stable job working for the United States Postal Service. Diane was mostly an easy and mild-tempered child. Her parents were very conservative and she did follow their rules up until about the age of 14 when Diane began to become more rebellious. Diane attended Moon Valley High School in Phoenix and seemed to be struggling to fit in and she also wanted to be popular and this meant breaking a lot of her parents' rules in order to fit in. At the age of 14, she decided to drop her first name Elizabeth and instead decided to go by her middle name, Diane. Diane also decided that in order to fit in and to be popular, she needed to make some serious changes to her appearance. Diane decided to chop her hair and dye it blonde. She also started wearing more trending clothing that was more revealing and showed off her figure. She also started dating 16-year-old Stephen Downs who lived across the street and also went to her high school. Her parents obviously did not approve of the changes to her appearance and definitely did not approve of her new relationship. But Diane did not care and continued her relationship with Stephen. By the age of 16, her and Stephen's relationship was now sexual. After high school, Diane attended Pacific Coast Baptist Bible College while her boyfriend Stephen joined the Navy. Apparently, the two made an agreement to remain faithful during this time that they would be apart. This proved to be somewhat of a challenge for Diane because after one year in college, she was expelled for promiscuous behavior. Though Diane failed, the two were able to make their long-distance relationship work, and after three years, Stephen was finally home from the Navy and the two decided to get married on November 13th, 1973. And my birthday is actually November 13th, 1999. I just thought that was kind of cool. So the marriage was very rocky and the two fought often about money and accusations of infidelity. These fights escalated often and Diane would leave Stephen to go and stay with her parents. Though the marriage appeared to be falling apart, the two had their first child in 1974. The two had a baby girl that they named Christy. So as you will see as we continue throughout the rest of this episode, Diane was looking for something that she wasn't getting from Stephen and she was looking for unconditional love. And I believe that Diane thought she could get this if she had a child. And I believe that this is why Diane started having children in the first place, even though her relationship with Stephen was obviously not great. And Diane is not the only woman to believe that if she has a baby, that maybe the baby can save the marriage or the relationship. There are many women who believe that this may be the case. But usually, as we always see, having a baby is not the answer to your relationship issues. 
unless the issue is that you're trying to have a baby. And with Diane, having the physical child wasn't what she was after. And I think she realized it was being pregnant and having this life inside of her that made her feel significant. And that was what she needed to feel whole and happy. Diane enjoyed the attention and affection she got when she was pregnant more than anything that she got from her relationship and when she was not pregnant. So as you may have guessed, having a child did not help things in the marriage, but the two did remain married. After about six months after Christy was born, Diane decided to join the Navy, but after only a few weeks of basic training, Diane returned home due to severe blisters. Diane later claims that the real reason she returned home was because she believed Stephen was neglecting their daughter Christy. This didn't seem to be a major issue in the marriage because Diane becomes pregnant again with their second child. In 1975, the two welcomed their second child, Shirley Lynn, into their family. Now, if you're a mother and truly believe that the father of your child is neglecting or cannot care for your child when you're not with them, why the hell would you have another baby? But in Diane's mind, I guess the attention she got from being pregnant was worth it. So Stephen Downs decided that the two children was enough for him and decided to get a vasectomy. Whether or not Diane knew or approved of Stephen's decision isn't known, but Diane somehow still managed to conceive again. Diane, however, decided to get an abortion, but she didn't name the aborted child Carrie. So I haven't been able to find much on this alleged pregnancy, but if she did become pregnant after Stephen had had a vasectomy, the child was more than likely not his. Yes, it is still possible to have a child even after someone has had a vasectomy, but it is very slim to none. So the child was more than likely not his. So at this point, the two were obviously in a loveless marriage, and I think at this point they were just staying with each other more so out of necessity for their children than anything else. I think it's very possible that they were both having affairs and with Diane enjoying being pregnant and with Steven already with one foot out the door, he knew he didn't want to bring any more children into their unhealthy marriage or relationship. So going forward in 1978, the two decided to move to Arizona where they both found jobs working for a company that manufactured mobile homes. So it's here that Diane begins having affairs with multiple co-workers and becomes pregnant yet again. Though this time Stephen knows that the child is not his, he accepts the child into their family and the two welcome their third child, Annie Downs, who was born in December of 1979. So I think Stephen is a very good man for taking in a child that is not his and deciding to raise that child as his own when you know that your spouse conceived this child through an affair. I think it's safe to say that at this point Stephen was more than likely over the relationship and just mostly wanted to do right by the children that were involved in their marriage and also I guess outside of their marriage. So whether or not it was due to infidelity or another factor, about a year later in 1980 the two divorced. Now that Diane was a single woman again, she became a completely different person and went back to a lot of her behavior she was doing in high school. The divorce gave Diane the freedom to sleep with and date whoever she wanted and that's exactly what she did. She had multiple affairs with married men and she even reached out to Stephen a few times to fix their relationship. After her divorce to Stephen, Diane also decided to move in with Danny's father at the time. 
So it was around this time that Diane also unfortunately started to show less and less interest in her children and would often leave them just to get away. So it's now that Diane is divorced with three children to care for and one less source of income. She needed another job to help support herself and her family. So Diane decides to apply to become a surrogate mother and hopes to bring in some extra cash. I definitely think Diane missed the feeling of being pregnant, but she obviously didn't love being a mother, so this seemed like the best answer to her, if only she didn't already have three children. So Diane applies to be a surrogate mother, and this surrogacy agency required that she take two psychiatric exams. Diane failed both, and one exam stated that Diane was very intelligent and also psychotic. Though many of us would have found this to be very alarming, Diane found this to be funny and shared it with many of her friends. So since the surrogacy agency didn't work out, Diane decided to get a job with the U.S. Postal Service. Because Diane was working full time, she often left the kids with either Stephen, her parents, or with Danny's father. If Diane could not find someone to watch her children while she was away, she would leave six-year-old Christy in charge at home with the younger children. When Diane was not at work and her children were with her, many of her neighbors had spoken about their concerns for the welfare of her children. Her neighbors had reported that they believed the children were not well-fed because they often begged for food and that the children were not well-dressed for the weather outside. Many believed Diane to be an unfit mother who would often put everything before her children. On one account, a babysitter has stated that when she was watching the children while Diane was away, and I quote, Diane put everything before those kids. If Danny wanted attention, she would push him away. But the worst thing was, one time I caught Shirley jumping on the bed and I said that was not permitted. I made her sit in a chair and think about it. Shirley sat quietly for a while and when she looked up, said, do you have a gun here? Of course not. Why? The babysitter responded. I want to shoot myself. My mom says I'm bad. So that's extremely scary to hear a young child say. Whatever Diane was telling her or saying to her children was obviously scaring them and making them think that they should die because they weren't good enough children. And this also makes you think that if Diane already had things in motion or had a plan to kill her children, the babysitter had mentioned that Shirley asked her if she had owned a gun. And this is very telling. Maybe Diane had mentioned it to Shirley in order to maybe prompt her or maybe like to basically tell her child to kill herself and the other children because they weren't good enough children. I think Diane was hoping that maybe Shirley would do it for her so she wouldn't have to deal with the kids anymore. I, I really don't know. It just goes to show that not everyone is fit to be a mother, especially in Diane's case. In late 1981, Diane was finally accepted into a surrogacy program and was paid $10,000 after she carried a child successfully to term. Being that Diane enjoyed carrying children and enjoyed the pay as well, she decided to start her own surrogacy agency. But unfortunately, or fortunately, she was not successful at all and this plan quickly failed. So given that the last psychiatric test Diane took showed that she was highly intelligent and the fact that Diane had taken this test before, I'm sure that 
She already knew what they were looking for and modified her answers accordingly. I'm not sure if this was a different agency that she tried, but if it was the same one, I don't understand how she slipped past them. And if this was the same company, I would be worried that Diane would run off with the child she was carrying and decided that she wanted to keep the child. But being that Diane had no interest in having any more children to raise herself, they honestly got off lucky. Imagine finding out years later that your surrogate was Diane Downs. I would be extremely stressed. So around 1983, Diane met Robert Knickerbocker. Funny name. But <laughs> she called him Nick for short. But I'll be referring to him as Robert. So Robert was her co-worker at the time. And Robert was married, but the two began an affair and Robert made many empty promises to Diane that he would eventually leave his wife and be with her. Diane was very much in love with Robert and this love was a dangerous love. One of the many promises that Robert made to her was that he would leave his wife and move with her to Oregon. Diane had told Robert that she wanted to move to Oregon to be closer to her parents now that she was divorced. Eventually, Robert told Diane that he had no intentions of leaving his wife and that he did not want to be a father to her many children. This, as you can imagine, shattered Diane and this was not what she wanted to hear. I don't think Diane was someone who experienced rejection often and though Robert was probably very much in love with his wife and never had any real intentions of leaving his wife, it seems that Diane only heard one thing. The only thing that Diane heard was that Robert did not want to be with her because she had children. This is where things start to get a bit crazy because to Diane, her children were disposable, which meant that after she got rid of her children, her and Robert could be together. So after her breakup with Robert, Diane decided to leave Arizona and move back to Oregon. Though the two were broken up, Diane continued to write to Robert, who once again made it clear that he did not want to be with Diane or be a father to her children. So at this time, her children were the ages of 8, 7, and 3, with Christy being the oldest and Danny being the youngest. While Diane and her children were back in Oregon, Shirley made comments to her grandparents' neighbors that she was afraid of her mother. Christy also later states that her mother was especially cruel to Shirley. So Diane had been living in Oregon for about six weeks before the fatal night of May 19, 1983. It was on this night that Diane claimed to be driving home from a friend's house at around 9.30 and 10 at night on a lonely highway with her three sleeping children in the backseat of the car with her. Christy, the oldest, actually remembers that Hungry Like a Wolf was playing on the radio. Diane claims that she decided to take a detour to do some sightseeing on the way home. She continues driving when she sees a bushy-haired man waving her down and Diane pulls over to see what the man wanted. Diane goes on to explain that the man wanted her car and demands that she give him her keys and she responded to the man, you've got to be kidding. Now, I don't have children, but let's really think about this. It's 10 o'clock at night and you're driving home with your three young children in the car and you decide not only are you going to do a detour to do some sightseeing at 10 o'clock at night when you can't see anything, but you also decide to pull over for a stranger 
waving you down on the side of the road knowing that you have your three young children with you and you don't know who this man is or what this man wants. It does not take a parent or a genius to know that this story is starting to sound like bull. Diane goes on to say that the man pushed her aside and pulled out a gun and began shooting at the back of the car at her three children. The man then shoots at Diane, hitting her in the arm. Diane then pretends to throw her keys into the bushes and as the man runs to go find the keys, Diane jumps in the car and drives off. Diane tells investigators that she drove like a lunatic to get to the hospital. When she arrives, she pulls up into the ER dock and yells, quick, my kids have been shot. Unfortunately, Shirley had already died before making it to the hospital. Both Christy and Danny were in critical condition and barely hanging on. So after Diane arrives at the hospital and is receiving treatment, investigators arrive shortly after and are there to get her full statement on what happened. Investigators actually described her demeanor as flat and she wasn't crying or reacting the way a mother would once she had just witnessed her three young children being shot. At this point, investigators also noted that at the time of the interview, Diane had been informed that Shirley had actually died. So I actually want to play a quick clip for you all so you can hear the interview of investigators questioning Diane and you can actually hear it in her voice that she is in no way really panicked or does she even really seem that upset after what just happened. I am telling you, if my children had just been shot and I just found out that one of them died, the hospital, the doctors, whoever, would literally have to sedate me because I would be hysterical. There is no way I would have been able to function, let alone recount what just happened without sobbing my way through it. And then to also know that one of my children literally died and she's just completely fine, like nothing even happened. I know that everyone grieves differently, but to just suddenly lose a child to a random stranger who shot them and you're not even shocked or reacting in any way is like just suspicious. And Diane even says, and I quote, and you can hear her in the recording, I just kept saying, God, do what's best. You know, if they gotta die, let them die. Just don't let them suffer. It's literally like she's bargaining with God to just take them. So they don't have to suffer, but so neither does she. She also tells the doctor that's been treating her children that she really ruined her new car and that there's blood all over the back seat because that's what's important to Diane right now. I can't imagine being that cold to my own children. So the next day at this point in time, the incident is all over the media and people are worried that a crazed man is running around the town shooting even children and rightfully people are afraid because police don't have much to go on other than what Diane told them that it was a stranger who had bushy hair. Police did not have much to work with at all with not much of a description and no weapon the police were literally nowhere. 
So police are doing their best to investigate this crime and they actually find spent shell casings at the scene and there was a river or lake adjacent to the road that Diane claimed to be driving on and investigators sent divers into the river to look for the murder weapon. The police also went door to door in the area asking if anyone had seen the suspect that fit the description. Diane actually sat down with the police to make a composite sketch of the man that she had saw that night. Now, when you look at this composite, it's very general and doesn't even really look like a specific person. It's a face with big shaggy hair and a bang, but no real identifying characteristics. I know that it can be very difficult sometimes for witnesses to identify or recall what a suspect looked like after something extremely traumatic, but Diane was close up to this man and the best she had was bushy hair. Even if she didn't remember much, I would try my best to give every little detail I could so that investigators could find the person that shot my kids. So running out of ideas on how to solve the case and pursue the case, investigators turned to Diane. Investigators were also finding it difficult to follow Diane's story because some parts just weren't making sense. A lot of questions were also being asked, such as why would a mother with young children in the car stop for a stranger on the side of the road, and why is the mother only shot in the arm when her children had all had fatal injuries? Investigators also noticed that in their report and Diane's account that when she arrived at the hospital that night, she had her injured arm wrapped in a towel. This also left investigators wondering, because if your children have just been shot and you have a towel with you, why wouldn't you put the towel on their wounds or try and keep them from bleeding to death? Police start to become more and more suspicious of Diane's story, and because Diane is the only one that can answer these questions, they turn to her. Investigators asked Diane if she would be willing to do a reenactment of what happened that night and Diane was more than happy to help investigators and agreed to participate in the reenactment. So you can definitely go and look up this reenactment on like YouTube, but I'm gonna do my best to explain it for my listeners. So you see Diane sitting in the car looking in the rear view mirror and you can see her fixing her hair and making sure she looks good, I guess for the reenactment of her children being shot because again, that's what's important to Diane right now. And while you watch this reenactment, Diane is smiling and laughing like this is a game or something funny. She's joking and it's like she's not reenacting what would easily be the worst day of any mother's life. Also, during the reenactment, Diane bumps her cast on the car and you can hear her say on video that this is worse than okay and she stops herself as if she was about to say that this is worse than when I shot myself. I'm actually going to play the clip for you guys because it's almost unbelievable hearing her like catch herself that like that and make that mistake when doing the reenactment of her children being shot. She was more than happy to do that. Sitting in the car is Elizabeth Diane Downs. She can be seen sitting in the car and she's kind of primping, making sure that her hair looked the way she wanted it. Diane Downs is trying to show the investigators exactly what happens. I'm throwing the keys, okay? I'm throwing the keys. And so they can understand and get the forensics right. I'm going to step. I got to be caught. I'm going to put the keys in. I just hit my cat. Started the car. 
and left. The car door shut itself. <laughs> she was giddy. She laughed. She cracked jokes. I mean, she's reenacting the gruesome shootings of her three children. She doesn't seem at all upset. This is worse than okay. She'd hit her cast and made the statement, this is worse than, and she caught herself. So we speculated, of course, what she would have said to finish that sentence. And we always thought, this is worse than when I shot myself. So it was after this that police decided to take another look at Diane's story and decided to do a search of her apartment. Diane actually gives police consent to search her home. I'm assuming she thought this would make her look less suspicious if she's willingly letting investigators into her home to look for evidence that I guess may or may not be there. I mean, I guess she was hoping that they wouldn't find anything incriminating. So once officers began looking inside her home, they find the letters that Diane had written to Nick, AKA Robert, and investigators began to learn about Diane's relationship with Robert. While investigators kept digging into Diane's story, Diane begins giving interviews about her story and further pushes her narrative that this strange man stopped her and killed her children. Diane also pled that if anyone knew the man that did this, they needed to come forward and help investigators. She also tells reporters that the reason for her doing these interviews is so that she could set the record straight and that this is what happened to her children. Diane even says in an interview on camera, and I quote, if I had shot my own children, would I have not done a good job of it? Who says that? You are being accused of shooting your three children and your only defense is if you had shot them, wouldn't you have done a good job? Well, apparently not, since you clearly didn't get the immediate results you wanted, but okay. So I do find it very interesting to hear Diane explain her side of the story and hearing her talk about basically herself the entire time when doing these interviews to reporters, explaining how her children got shot, but neglecting to talk about her children that got shot. So I also wanna play another clip for you guys because she's an interesting character. And so instead of giving him the keys, I feigned throwing the keys. He did not take time to point the gun and shoot me, obviously, because he would have shot me the same way he did the kids. When he was swinging in the direction of the keys, firing the gun, he hit my arm. Everybody says, you sure were lucky. Well, I don't feel very lucky. I couldn't tie my damn shoes for about two months. It is very painful. It is still painful. The scar is going to be there forever. I'm going to remember that night for the rest of my life, whether I want to or not. I don't think I was very lucky. I think my kids were lucky. If I had been shot the way they were, we all would have died. At night, when I close my eyes, I can see Kristen reaching her hand out to me while I'm driving, and the blood just keep coming out of her mouth. And that, maybe it'll fade too with time, but I, I don't think so. That haunts me the most. I kept trying to tell her that. She ran over so she wouldn't choke on the blood, and it didn't dawn on me at the time that the blood was coming from her lungs. Her behavior was not anything that you would expect for uh, a mother who'd gone through this. And as I say, she may be the only one to get me out of this. Would I have brought her to the hospital? Wouldn't she be the one that I would make sure is dead? There are too many holes in it. 
If I had shot my own children, would I not have done a good job of it? Why would I have taken my kids to the hospital? Wouldn't I have made sure they were dead and then cried crocodile tears? That's insane to think that I would do such a thing and then bring the, the witnesses in against myself. That's crazy. So during all of this, Chrissy is still in the hospital because she actually had a stroke and doctors have just determined that Danny will never walk again because he's paralyzed. Chrissy is unable to speak because of the stroke, but her doctors noticed that every time Diane came into her hospital room, Chrissy sensed that she was there and her vitals would spike. The state of Oregon at this time also decided to remove the children from Diane's care and the children were placed in foster care. Diane continues to do interviews with reporters. These interviews were ultimately Diane's own undoing. She recounts the events about that night and talks about her daughter being shot and how she watches her daughter coughing and choking on her own blood. She continues to talk about herself and how she had a hard childhood and how this was a terrible experience for her. She doesn't tear up or really mention how all three of her children have been shot and how one of her children has actually died. Diane even goes on to talk about how everyone says she's lucky and her response was that she didn't feel very lucky because she couldn't tie her shoes for two months because of the cast on her arm and she'll have a scar and not the fact that she lost a child. One has had a stroke and the other's paralyzed but okay. She even goes on to say that her kids were lucky because if she had been shot the way they were shot, they all would have died. But she said her kids were lucky. But sure enough, as time goes on and Diane does more and more interviews, public sympathy begins to shift. Even her own father began to question if Diane was telling the truth, and he even says that he believes Diane did it because she was only shot in the arm. So at this point in time, the suspicion is now on Diane. Not only is the public no longer supporting her, but the police are now looking at her as their prime suspect. It is also at this point that Diane Downs announces that she is pregnant with yet another child. No one could believe that she was pregnant so soon after her children had been shot. And Diane explained that the reason she got pregnant was because she missed her children now that she no longer had custody of them. I got pregnant because I miss Christy and I miss Danny and I miss Cheryl so much. I'm never going to see Cheryl on earth again. And I just, you can't replace children, but you can replace the effect that they give you. And they give me love. They give me satisfaction. They give me stability. They give me a reason to live and a reason to be happy. And, and that's gone. They took it from me. But children are so easy to conceive. So I believe the only reason Diane got pregnant so fast was because she knew that the public was no longer on her side and she hoped that by getting pregnant she could get some of that public sympathy back. She probably also thought that getting pregnant would help keep her out of jail and if she had to go to court, she was confident that no jury would put a pregnant woman in jail. So after the news of Diane's pregnancy goes public, people start to speculate about who the father may be. During this time, Diane worked as a mail carrier and on one of her routes, she spotted a handsome man. One evening, she shows up at his home with whiskey and marijuana. The assumption is that Diane and this man decided to drink and smoke together and engage in sex, which resulted in her getting pregnant. 
So while Diane is giving interviews about her pregnancy, police are still investigating the events of that night. Diane told police that the children were shot inside of the car. She explained that the shooter leaned into the car and had fired the fatal shots. But police discovered high velocity blood splatter on the outside of the car on the passenger side, meaning that the children were shot from outside of the car. Police believed that Cheryl had tried to get out of the car and Diane had reached over and shot her. Diane had also told police that she had never owned a handgun. From the ballistics of the bullets, police had gathered that the weapon had been a 22 caliber handgun. Further investigation of Diane revealed that she did in fact own a handgun and it was a 22. With this information, police had enough to search her home and found a rifle that had 22 caliber shells inside of it. That had came out of another weapon, probably the murder weapon. Police then set the bullet found in the rifle to ballistics and the bullets matched the shell casings from the shooting. Investigators were also able to find a witness that claims he had been behind Diane's car the night of the shooting that stated that Diane was driving so slow that his speedometer was not registering his own speed. Diane's speed was estimated at 5 to 7 miles per hour, but Diane had told police that after her children were shot, she sped to the hospital. I bet Diane was hoping that if she drove slow enough that her children would die on the way to the hospital. Diane was hoping that her children would die and then she would be the grieving mother who could then go and be with the man of her dreams. All of this would be at her children's expense. So now the police have a strong case against Diane and start looking for a motive as to why Diane would shoot her own children. Police turn to Diane's diary and find that she wrote to Robert about how she loved him and how no one could fill the void in her after he left. She also mentioned that her children would not be any trouble to their relationship. This could mean that she had plans to get rid of them at this point. Apparently, Robert loved kids, but he did not want to be a father himself, and Diane knew that as long as she had children, she could not be with Robert. Diane rationalized that if she no longer had children, she could have Robert back in her life. Police decide to bring Diane back in for another interview and confront her about her inconsistencies. Diane tells police that she now thinks the man that shot her and her children that night knew her. Diane even tells investigators that she knows who did it and she knows him by name. This now completely changes her story. Police have been looking for a random bushy-haired man and Diane claims to have known who this man was from the beginning. She changes her story and claims that the man grabbed her arm and shot her. Diane refused to tell police who the man was because she was mad that she was now the prime suspect of the investigation. So for the sake of argument, let's say Diane didn't do it and the police were suspicious of her for no reason. Even if this was true, wouldn't you tell them who the man was if you knew his name? He shot and killed one of your children. Also, by telling the police who the real shooter is, this could lead to you being cleared as a suspect and police could pursue the real shooter. So Diane gets so mad with investigators that she storms out of the interview. Now that Diane no longer had the support of the public, the public has begun to put pressure on the police to arrest Diane. But there was no arrest because the DA wanted to speak with Christy, who was old enough to tell what had happened to her and her siblings. The DA was waiting for Christy to also be healthy enough to recount the events, being that Christy couldn't speak due to the stroke. 
Sadly, when Christy was finally able to speak, she was afraid to speak. Christy was given a therapist that worked with her in an attempt to get her comfortable talking about the incident. In one of their sessions, the therapist asked Christy to write down who had shot her and after to throw it into the fireplace. This went on for a while until Christy was finally able to talk about that night. And one day she was able to open the paper and it said, my mom. Diane was officially indicted on February 28, 1984, nine months after shooting her children. Reporters had noted that during Diane's arrest, she did not seem frightened or upset when the officers came to arrest her. They said she seemed to be enjoying the spotlight. Diane Downs was being charged with murder, attempted murder, and criminal assault of her three children. Diane's trial began on May 10, 1984. Diane appeared in court heavily pregnant, which shocked the media. The prosecution began their case by presenting the evidence against Diane that proved that she had shot her children because she wanted to be with her lover, who did not want children. The prosecution was able to present forensic evidence, motive, and eyewitness testimony that contradicted Diane's original story to police. The prosecution presented a very strong case, but it was Diane's own actions that made their case even stronger. During the trial, the prosecution played Hungry Like a Wolf, the very song that was playing on the car radio when her children were shot, and she was taking them to the hospital. And while the prosecution was playing this for the jury, Diane began bobbing her head and tapping her foot to the music. Jurors saw this as unremorseful and cold-hearted of Diane, considering this is the very song one of her children died to. The strongest evidence against Diane was the eyewitness testimony of her daughter, Christy Downs. After months of speech therapy and mental therapy, Christy was finally able to take the stand. When the prosecution asked her, who shot you? Christy responded, my mom. I can imagine this must have been very hard for a young girl to do. Not only did she go through something so traumatic and lose her sister, she has to testify that her mother shot them. As a child, our most important and most secure relationship is supposed to be with our parents, especially with your mother. She will live with this and carry it with her for the rest of her life. She probably also dealt with a lot of guilt and was afraid to get her mother in trouble. I honestly think that Christy is so strong and brave because I can only imagine how hard it was for her to testify against her own mother. So nine-year-old Christy took the stand and testified that her mother stopped on the side of the road and shot her and her two siblings and then proceeded to shoot herself in the arm. Christy also says that she remembered that the song Hungry Like a Wolf was playing as Diane drove them all to the hospital. Diane's defense presented a weaker case. The defense agreed that Diane was obsessed with her lover or ex-lover Robert and wanted a relationship with him. But the defense also explained that the reason Diane behaved the way she did after the incident and her promiscuous behavior was because of psychological trauma due to sexual abuse by her father growing up. Diane actually recanted this claim about her father after the trial. Diane also took the stand and told the jury that she didn't shoot her children for a man and insisted that she loved her children. So I definitely think the claim that Diane made about her father was a lie and either Diane or her lawyer came up with this to help strengthen her case, but I don't think this helped sway the jury in Diane's favor because Diane just acted way too bizarre after the shooting of her children that the childhood trauma of her father just could not explain. So unfortunately for Diane, she did not seem to gain the sympathy she was hoping for from the jury. 
because the jury found Diane Downs guilty on all charges on June 17, 1984. She was sentenced to life in prison plus 50 years. Diane did not react at all when she received the verdict. So after the trial ended in 1986, the prosecutor on the trial, Fred Hugie, adopted Christy and Danny Downs. Diane gave birth to a baby girl named Amy in 1984. The baby was taken from Diane and adopted by a new family, and her name was changed to Rebecca Babcock. Rebecca is now all grown up and has done an interview on the Oprah Winfrey show where she talks about her life. Rebecca explains that she had a perfectly normal and happy life growing up with her adoptive parents. She explains that her adoptive parents never hid the fact that she was adopted and around the age of 8, Rebecca started to wonder about who her biological parents were. When Rebecca was 11, her adoptive mother gave her bits and pieces of information but did not reveal much nor did she give the name of Rebecca's birth mother. Rebecca was still curious and eventually tricked her babysitter into telling her her birth mother's name. With this information, Rebecca was able to look up who her biological mother was and made the shocking discovery that her biological mother was Diane Downs, the woman who shot her three children. Rebecca did write a letter to Diane once, but later says that she regretted this because she now believes after communicating with her birth mother that Diane is a monster. Rebecca said that she initially was concerned that she would grow up to be like her mother, but later decided that the difference between them was that Rebecca was brought up with a good education and loving parents and strongly believed that nurture could overcome nature. Rebecca grew up to become a behavioral health coordinator for children and now has a job at iHeartRadio as a podcast host, and she continues to voice her opinions and feelings about Diane. I think Rebecca made the best outcome out of finding out who her mother actually was, and I'm glad that she was able to have a happy life and was adopted by loving parents. So three years after Diane was sentenced on July 11, 1987, Diane managed to escape from the Oregon Women's Correctional Center. Authorities said she scaled two 18-foot fences surrounding the prison, climbed under a pickup truck, and waited several minutes before calmly walking away. Prison officials later said they believe Diane wore several layers of clothing to avoid puncture wounds from the barbed wire atop the fences. A torn striped shirt was found under the pickup truck where Downs reportedly hid after scaling the prison fences. The prison guards were not aware that anything was amiss as the gate alarm did go off that morning but often was set off accidentally at least once or twice a day. A few minutes later, a nurse told guards that she had seen a suspicious woman climb from under a pickup truck and the prison guards immediately started a roll call and discovered that Diane Downs was missing. This obviously launched the search for the recapture of Diane. Diane was wearing civilian clothing and was able to get a couple to stop and give her a ride to a nearby payphone after telling the couple that her boyfriend was in a car accident and she needed to get to a phone right away. The search for Diane spread statewide and to neighboring states. Investigators searched Diane's cell and discovered a piece of paper that had writing indentations that looked to be like an address. After further enhancement of this piece of paper, investigators were able to get an address to a house less than half a mile from the prison. Police surveillance the property for two days before getting a search warrant. After entering, investigators found Diane with four other men and those four men were charged with hindering prosecution. 
The search for Diane ended after 10 days and she was given an additional five years for the escape. Diane was later transferred to a maximum security prison. In 1991, Diane requested to have a new trial, her argument being that she did not have adequate representation, but Diane was denied. Diane has also been up for several parole hearings and has been denied for all of them. In one hearing, Diane was questioned about who she believed shot her children, and Diane stated that she believed that it was two masked men, drug dealers or corrupt law enforcement officers, that shot her children and that she was innocent. Diane is currently incarcerated at the Valley State Prison for Women in Chachilla, California. And that is the story of the infamous Diane Downs, the woman who shot her three children. I hope you guys enjoyed hearing about Diane's story because I definitely find Diane Downs to be an interesting person. I do believe that Diane was a sociopath that fed on attention and affection from others. I think Diane was headed down a dangerous path around the time she was a teen and never fully developed empathy for others. I believe that Diane was indeed born to kill or had all the predisposition indicators. I mostly feel sorry for her surviving children, Christy and Danny, and the trauma she caused them. Diane is a woman who didn't really think past what she could gain from any interaction and past her pregnancies. Diane saw her children as a burden and from the moment she met Robert, her children were in danger. Someone like Diane sees anything that does not benefit her in any way as something that is disposable and unfortunately, this included her young children. This was a very sad case but with somewhat of a happier ending where the murderers caught and the victims can start to heal. I want to thank you guys again for listening and before you go, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode of Born to Kill. Alright guys, bye.